Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The attitudes expressed are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised, there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Welcome back. It's Recovery Sort Of. I'm Jason, a guy in long-term recovery. And I'm Billy. I'm also a person in long-term recovery. And we don't pay a whole lot of attention to the episode numbers, but it's episode 69. And so we're going to talk about sex, obviously, just like salt and pepper. Yeah, and we were joking. Someone pointed it out to us. We should have saved our sex expert. Joshua. (laughs) Joshua for episode 69. Yeah. It kind of ties right into being an addict that we would once again talk about sex two episodes later. (laughs) We're obsessed. We we can't get enough. Yeah. So today we're going to explore some of those programs that we talked about a little bit with Joshua. You know, he, I don't want to say he, to use your words, he didn't poo-poo on them or anything. (laughs) He said they're useful for some people. They just weren't his kind of bag. And I think there was a point in time in my life when I was just all 12 step fellowship man yeah. all the time that i would have been like what the fuck 12 steps is perfect right yeah. and now it's like no nah, i kind of get it you know they're not for everybody but i do think there's a lot of value that you can find in 12 step i also get his points of they don't necessarily specifically say hey let's talk about your underlying trauma i do think some of the steps delve into some of that i think at the same time while they're delving into it sometimes You know, we delve into these with a sponsor who may or may not have experience dealing with trauma or an understanding of trauma. and They might not be as beneficial to helping us deal with it or process it as like a professional counselor might be. But I I do think it's somewhat addressed. It's not like we're just like, oh, whatever happened in your past, fuck it. Just deal with now, right? Like we look at four and five and six and seven and eight and nine, like those steps deal with our past. Yeah, for sure. And I I felt that. And again, it wasn't worth trying to debate points with him i mean his experience with 12-step fellowship is his you know and i can't say he was wrong i mean my experience was that that was kind of wrong that through the 12-step fellowship i've addressed a lot of my sexual abuse issues and talked about some of that stuff could i get potentially possibly more out of a therapist or something i mean maybe i'm not saying that's not true and it just it's the anonymity of the program like i chose to divulge that information and address it and discuss it through my step work right not everyone does not everyone feels safe and maybe they shouldn't you know i'm not saying they should i'm just saying my experience was different from what he shared his experience was and i wanted to get defensive of the 12-step fellowships (laughs) there for a minute and then i thought you know what for the sake of this conversation it's not worth it yeah well and like we talked to matt who talked about being gay in recovery and he still hasn't told his sponsor that yeah whereas like you were able to share about you know childhood sexual trauma so yeah it does differ depending on i guess your comfortability level and who your sponsor is and what experiences they've shared or had or it's a a varying degrees of what kind of help we're able to get and i don't think that's any certain person's fault or the program's fault but i guess we all get something different out of it but 
Today, we're, we're going to address the big three S programs. If you don't know what the S programs are, that might be something I completely made up. I have no idea. But there's three different sex addiction type programs out there, if you didn't know that. First, there is SA, Sexaholics Anonymous, which is an interesting mm. term that someone coined, Sexaholics. Mm. And then there is SAA, Sex Addicts Anonymous. So I guess maybe people left AA that were into sex and people left NA that were into sex and they had to make different programs. <laughs> or, I don't know. Uh, and then there is SLAA, which is endearingly termed SLA by many people, which is Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. And so they all somewhat focus on a similar type issue and come at it from similar type means. But it's interesting that there's three different ones. I mean, you know, I've learned in the not too distant past that there's also like opioid anonymous and heroin anonymous and cocaine anonymous. And I always found that weird. I'm like, we have fucking NA. Why do you need to like, do you need crack smokers anonymous? Like, I, I don't know. It just seems strange to me. But here we are with three sex programs. And I want to try to remain anonymous, so I'm going to try to be general in my language, which is going to be a little difficult. But I okay. talked to someone who has attended some S programs over the years and said that the difference for them wasn't that they needed something different from their experience in Narcotics Anonymous. It was that they felt a safe place to talk about specific mm. issues, that they believe that NA could help them with the same issues. I mean, the, the program and the steps, you know, they could address those things. But to talk about specific behaviors and specific issues they were struggling with, that the identification in the S programs felt better, felt safer, yeah. a place to divulge some of that information. So, Well, and I think that makes total sense. If you walked into an AA meeting where they're trying to focus on alcohol and talked about all the heroin you shot up last <laughs> week, the guy that's at his first AA meeting ever and just wants to stop drinking isn't going to be able to relate to that. So they're kind of losing the clarity of their purpose. Right. Similarly, if I go into an NA meeting and talk about how I love to spread peanut butter on my balls and have my dog lick it off, like <laughs> right. they're going to be right. like, what the fuck, right? Like this guy's going to, there's an addict out there somewhere at his first meeting thinking, uh, I just want to stop using drugs. Right. This guy is I don't know if I belong problem. around these crazy people. <laughs> right, right. And just for the record, I don't put peanut butter on myself <laughs> or have a dog. But, it, you know, it's just one of those things like it, there's a place to share certain information that's going to feel more comfortable and more welcome and more accepting and maybe even just be more appropriate. Can the 12 steps of NA help you with sex addiction? Sure. But does your sponsor have any familiarity with sex addiction that he can assist you in working that? Or is the fellowship the right place to share those kind of concerns where you want to feel, look, I couldn't walk into church and tell them that I used to, you know, fire heroin and cocaine directly into my veins and you know steal ibuprofen to get more money to do it like they had been like what the fuck is wrong with this guy <laughs> but an na meeting is a perfect place to say that right so there's appropriate places to say certain things right so the main things that are different with these programs obviously sex and love addicts anonymous has a slight tendency to be able to be more universal where it's not just about sex addiction it's also about the the relationship and love aspect of addiction the validation we seek a lot of times in our relationship seeking i guess and some ways we'll get into some ways and how that looks in a little bit and that was the one i think 
before discussing some of this or doing any kind of research, I, I didn't understand, you know, I didn't mm. quite get it. I'm like, eh, sex and love addicts. And I'm like, what is that? Like, right. to me, again, sex comes back to the physical act of it. And it's like, yeah, it feels great. Like, it's easy to see how <laughs> someone would get addicted to that. Like, it, yes. you know, who doesn't want to have sex all the time? <laughs> right. No, and, and I agree. And I think the more I learned about SLAA, the more I thought, everybody's got this fucking problem. Like, everybody I know has this problem. So interestingly, when I read some of their literature, I was like, wow, I really maybe don't have a healthy relationship with sex <laughs> and relationships at all. Like, right. Because, you know, for, for just kind of researching into this, I've never been to either or any of the programs, and so I went and read some of the literature and kind of looked through what I could find, and it's very interesting, and it definitely opened my eyes to, like, wow, you know, the difference between like, I guess, love and relationship issues now made a lot more sense because I could identify some of those things in myself. Yeah. And, and when we talk about this during this episode, we might, you might get that sense that like, this is generally what I think, at least the internet vision of what relationships look like in 2021. This is like Tinder right. all, all over the place. It has it written all over it. Basically, the three programs are separated by maybe their definition of clean time or, or how they approach it. I mean, they all follow the 12 step model as adapted from Alcoholics Anonymous, like every other 12 step fellowship does. So there's not much diversion there where they're going different ways, but sexaholics anonymous in particular actually has the only defined clean time sex addicts anonymous and sex and love addicts anonymous both operate on a system where you and your sponsor and your network and anybody who you would choose to include in your program, you come up with what your clean time is or what your acting out behaviors are that you need to avoid. Whereas Sexaholics Anonymous, the one thing I always thought was kind of intriguing about that program was that they define it. Like, huh. this is what our fucking definition of clean time is. Follow it or don't. And I think for some of us who are more rigid, like, hey, we just don't use drugs. That is a little simpler, right? Right, Because it's hard to figure out. You question yourself. You're like, do I masturbate too much? Am I spending too much time? What's my rules? Right. Am I allowed to spend 10 minutes or am I allowed to spend half an hour? Where do I cross the line? And of course, we know with addiction, denial, rationalization, yes. justification are huge <laughs> problems, right. you know? Right. And those are things we do to ourselves. you know? So if we can have these lines that are... But, I mean, I guess we do run into that in Narcotics Anonymous you know, or other fellowships too, in the sense of, you know, when is it okay to take medication and not? And mm. when, am, if I'm in pain and I'm taking these pain pills, well, you know, maybe I could have stopped after day three, but the doctor said I could take them for seven. So I'm fucking right. taking them for seven, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. I, so we can, it's a little hairy. Yeah. We, we like to act like it's pretty black and white. Or what about if you're on, you know, psych meds and, and right. your doctor puts you on psych meds or antidepressants and when are you taking those safely? So yeah, it, it's more blurred than we admit. Yes. Yeah. I'll agree. Yeah. I'll agree. Especially nowadays, we're getting more inclusive. <laughs> yeah. So, we got to fight to define that line a little clearer. <laughs> I mean, there's never going to be an absolute definition. Yeah. Mind and mood-altering substances, Every I everything changes my mind and my mood. Yeah. Food, for sure. I definitely have issues with caffeine. I mean, I yeah. at times manage it better than others. Right now, I'm kind of being a little more managed than I have been in the, but there's been times where 
I fucking know I have way too much caffeine in a day. I mean, that's all I drank all day was coffee and energy drinks. You know? mm. <laughs> it's like no water, no anything else, just coffee and energy drinks all right. day, every day. Like, I'm in a good spot with my relationship to coffee right now, but I know for a fact there's been times in my life, and I don't know, maybe eight, nine, ten years ago, where I specifically was making a coffee wanting that energy warm feeling. Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck is the difference between that and shooting heroin? Right. <laughs> I'm like chasing a feeling right. here with this cup of coffee. But anyway, yeah. uh, Sexaholics Anonymous, their definition is that you do not have sex with anyone outside of with your spouse. And they define spouse, which I found extremely interesting in 2021, as your partner, but it's a marriage between a man and a woman, hmm. period. I was like, oh, really? That's I that shocked me, honestly. Yeah, that's almost like saying I mean that's almost excluding, you know. Yeah, it's very much excluding the LGBTQ yeah. community, which I yeah, I don't know. That was weird. I found that on their website. I was like, oh. Yeah, and uh, so on the and I don't want to jump ahead too much, but in the SAA, they actually say for all, you know, relationships, gay, straight, you know. Right. All inclusive, so well, maybe that's a distinguishing. Maybe they put that on their homepage on purpose, <laughs> right? Because right. they went look this other essay. Like they're telling right. you, you can't come there. We want you to know you're welcome here. Yeah, sexaholics feels a little Christian conservative. Yeah. I don't know. They definitely. I mean, to say that only marriage that's recognized is between a man and a woman is very weird. Yeah, for sure, especially nowadays. And that includes no masturbation. You can't have sex with yourself either. It is only with your spousal partner wow. that you can have sex. So no cheating on your partner and no no doing yourself. Somebody tells you to go fuck yourself, you got to be like, can't. That's not <laughs> right. my program, bro. And I can't do that. assume that includes like pornography or any sort of that stuff. No yeah. looking at any of that. Well, I, so it didn't define that specifically, but I would imagine if you're not going to masturbate. Do people recreationally watch pornography? I guess they do. I guess. I, yeah, I don't. know. I, yeah. I have, <laughs> <laughs> like, if I'm looking, I got a reason. Right. You know, this isn't recreational it's for purpose me. purpose-driven. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the only program that has a, a definitive, this is what using looks like. And so I was told, and this was by an old therapist, and I don't know if she was joking or not, but she said that she believes that people were in that program that weren't married, which means you just can't have sex at all. And she thinks they were like, yeah, fuck that. That's not going to work. These these married dudes are getting it, right? We're going to get it too. We just want to not be sex addicts. So they deviated out of Sexaholics Anonymous and made Sex Addicts Anonymous. Huh. So that people could be single and still get it on. Right. Which would make sense. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. What are you going to do? Be celibate until you're married? Like, yeah, that's tough. And it's interesting. I go back to what Joshua was talking about, how it like it's hard for me to understand because it would be comparable to like a food addiction where I can't imagine most people would want to be completely abstinent of, oh. from. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't be <laughs> off of food. That's impossible. Right. But, you you know, I can't imagine most people want to be completely celibate for the rest of their lives. You know, so you'd be seeking more of a healthy relationship with sex, you know, a healthy relationship with. with yeah. Those you know, how to manage that in a healthy way. And Joshua kind of alluded to it too. Generally, when you do find someone that doesn't want to have sex for the rest of their life, they are just as unhealthily skewed, but in the other direction. Like there's, it's not really a healthy choice either. Most of the time, if you find it, it's kind of like the, the difference between someone who, you know, overeats 
versus someone who's anorexic. Both of them are struggling with their relationship with food and themselves. And it's the same with sex. We call them sexual anorexics. But people who, you know, avoid sex, that's not really generally usually healthy either. It's usually for reasons that are traumatic and the ways they feel about themselves. So, yeah. And I guess if you're not overly religious, again, especially in today's day, like getting married, like it seemed to be a cultural thing that everyone did 50 years ago. But nowadays, that's not so common. You know? Yeah. (laughs) So Sex Addicts Anonymous and Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous both operate under a system of creating your own acting out behaviors that you will avoid because they are your problem behaviors. Very similarly, they go about defining it in two different ways, but it means the same thing generally. SLAA operates with a bottom line, which is your behaviors that, you know, if you cross your bottom line, those are the behaviors that are acting out and you have to start your clean time again. And on the other side of that, they have a top line, which is behaviors you want to aspire to to replace these negative behaviors. SAA calls it the three circles. They have the inner circle, which is the behaviors that are acting out. They have a middle circle, which focuses on behaviors that are slippery, Mm. right? They might not be acting out, but you really got to watch yourself when you start doing them because that generally leads you back into inner circle behaviors. And then you have your outer circle, which is all the behaviors that are, you know, you want to include more in your life and and things you want to do. And I love the concept of both of them, right? And I'm kind of sad we don't have something like this in NA or in our recovery programs, but it's, I guess it it takes, like in NA, it's like, oh, just don't get high, right? Right. We focus all on what you want to remove from your life, but we don't really talk about, hey, there's this outer circle or this top line behaviors that we want to put in your life, man. You want to spend time with your kids. You want to practice the drums more. You want to, you know, meditate, like. It's not 100% focus on what we need to remove from your life. It's like, hey, these are things we need to remove, but here's some really positive things. Let's eat healthy. Let's get enough sleep. Like, these are things we want to include in your life, too, for positive. I, I really love that, that it's got both those focus. Yeah, that's really important. I mean, I know it is for me in my focus on recovery is like, all right, so what are good, healthy practices? Like, I don't always recognize them like part of my journey through recovery has been kind of spelling them out for myself like these are things that I want to do in my life and sometimes I got to re-remind myself like oh yeah you know commitment to things and sticking to stuff when it's tough is a value that I think is important (laughs) and so that can motivate me and then I get the benefits of living that because I don't always feel like that you know a lot of times I feel like it's easier to like walk away from shit that's annoying or give up on stuff that takes work that I wasn't planning, you know? Right. Yeah. So that's good. That's really, I like that too. Well, and if you think about putting it on a piece of paper, right, and you draw these three circles, your inner circle is going to have your defined behaviors of acting out. You know, it might be, oh, masturbating. Maybe you struggle with masturbating and you have some kind of ritual around it and it's taking up a lot of your life or you're doing it at inappropriate times. And you might have you know, three or four other behaviors, but it's this little list in the center of the paper. And then as you move out, right, you have your middle circle behaviors. Maybe this is where the guy watches porn, but he's not going to masturbate, right? right? And you start saying, well, why are you really watching that, right? Where is that going to lead one day? And then the outer circle is what takes up most of the paper. So when you're really looking at your plan for staying clean or, or, you know, staying away from acting out, 
most of what you're looking at on this paper is filled up with these positive things you want to put in your life. And I just feel like that's such a better picture to look at, right? I'm not like staring at the thing I can't do. It's like if you say, Billy, don't think about a pink elephant. Like you can't not picture it, right? right? But when you're looking at this paper, you're seeing all these positives instead of this negative thing you can't do. And I, I just, I don't know, it just seems so useful. Yeah. And I've heard people describe, you know, again, NA and the other A programs as like that being a challenge, you know, like you just, well, we're in there and we're talking about drugs and what you can't do and what you're not supposed to do and giving up all this stuff. And it's sort of hard to picture sometimes a whole different life or a new life away from what you've grown up or done for 15, 20, 30 years and all your right. friends and all your family and all, you know, <laughs> and you're leaving all those things behind, you know, for some unknown who knows what. You know, so yeah. it's nice to kind of have a visual of what you're working towards. This episode has been brought to you by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit grassroots recovery community organization located in Maryland. Voices of Hope is made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, Members strive to protect the dignity and respect of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopececilmd.org and consider donating to our cause. Native American tradition, you know, each of us has two dogs on our shoulders. You know, there's a good dog on one side and a bad dog on the other, and they're constantly at battle, at odds inside our head. You know, the young boy asks the old man, well, which dog wins? And the old man says, what's well, the one you feed the most? So it's mm -hmm. that idea that if I'm focusing more on the positives, more on the benefits, more on the things I'm gaining, that's going to win out. Right. Yeah, I would totally agree. That's generally how my life works. Whatever I focus on is what happens. Do you have sex addiction? Do you have love addiction? These are things that I don't know, and especially in our society, this is very much like alcohol to me, I think. And, and Joshua said this a little different when we talked to him. He was saying how the stigma is around using the alcohol or the drugs, but the stigma is around like not masturbating. And, and I kind of agree with the not masturbating thing, but I think with alcohol, it's very similar. I think the stigma is around not drinking a lot of times. I think that's how our society has done it. And so as difficult as it can be to recognize that you have an alcohol problem because it just seems so prevalent in society that that's what people do, especially in certain age groups and certain demographics. Like you go out and drink on the weekends. That's what the fuck everybody right. does, Socially. right? They're all, right. yeah. It's harder to recognize that there's a problem. Well, I think our culture of dating and sex and everything has also lent itself to being very difficult to recognize that you have sex or love addiction personally. Like I, I think this is what, you know, we have the, ghosting culture we have the culture of like dating people that are emotionally unavailable we have the culture of like hook up so like the hookup hookup culture, hook up culture yeah. one night staying culture we you know all this has become the norm people not wanting to be married people not really wanting kids yeah which I, that doesn't mean you're a sex addict because you don't want kids right. but i mean it's just it's become the norm to just kind of do whatever and it's okay and so i think that makes it more difficult to recognize when it's a problem yeah 
for people. For sure. What might this look like? And I'm just going to throw some stories out there of some things I've heard along the way from different people, different places. This can look like if you talk about, you know, the porn addiction, as Joshua kind of focused in more on a guy who or a girl who has like a ritual around their pornography experience where it's not just, hey, I got on Pornhub, I found this video within a couple minutes and then I knocked one out in the bathroom and then life went on five minutes later. This is like, I sit down every night, I'm reading seven different articles because I like to read erotic literature to get the right setup in my head. And then, you know, two and a half hours later, I'm looking for the right video that matches the scenario that I read about. And then four hours into it, I'm almost ready to finish. Like it's, this is like a long ritualistic process. And if I would think if you're sitting down at your computer to masturbate for four hours a night, you might know that you have a problem, (laughs) but maybe not. I mean, maybe you just think that's normal. I've heard the story of people like not being able to find the the right material, right, to finish with and then being up till like three in the morning mm. and then waking up for work at like six and calling out because they're too tired. But then they don't go back to bed. They get up and get right back on the porn. Wow. And it's like, ooh, yeah. wow, that's got you in the grips, right? This can look like somebody who has a wife and kids at home and they're at home every night generally but they're texting like five or six other girls for attention, whether that's, and I'm not trying to put guys or girls or this can all be interchangeable, but texting five or six other people, trying to get naked pictures, trying to plan hookups for the future where the family that is at home with them just seems like they're in the way and annoying. They might physically be home, but they're not really. Yeah. And that's interesting. I didn't think of that and we didn't talk to Joshua about that, but like the sexting and and that whole aspect of some of this. I mean, we had a, I don't know, what do you want to call it? Experience or, or I had a friend that told me, you know, they had an issue with a coworker. They had got involved with just sexting back and forth, you know, and it started with innocent work text. And then it was some kind of, you know, minor insinuations then all the way to like, I guess you would call it like, fantasy type mm. sexting whereas they work together and according to him they were never there was never any physical interaction they weren't like meeting up to go to hotels and whether it would have led there or not i don't know but his claim was that this was just like a i guess that would be an emotional type thing or a fantasy yeah. type thing where they were just had these you know the sexual relationship through text messaging huh and the blurry line between is that really an affair? Like he wasn't doing anything with this person and he wasn't quote unquote cheating, traditionally che- cheating. Right. And this was a guy that's older. I mean, his, this isn't like a 20 year old guy. This is a somebody who's 50, you know, like and been married for, you know, whatever, 30 years and feeling like, well, I'm not really having an affair. I'm not really, I'm still home with my wife. I'm still, right. you know, sleeping with her, but I am in this other, whatever you want to call this. And, yeah. You know, the internet and sexting and, and all that technology has sort of played into some of this. It makes these types of cheating and affairs like way easier, yes. you know, than they would have been, you know, 20 years ago where you're trying to like sneak to a pay phone and fucking arrange a meeting. <laughs> well, and there's that 90% easier jumping out there too. Like I could say things to women online in a message jokingly. Jokingly. Right. Feelers. <laughs> right. 
that I could have never said in person. Yeah, and or they so, had that whole site, the Ashley Madison site, for oh, a while. Yeah. I don't know if they're still a thing. I, I don't either. They got outed. A bunch of people got outed <laughs> for their affairs. Yeah, didn't they get hacked? Or I remember. Something? Yeah, they yeah. got hacked, and someone took their list and put it out. I think I remember my wife saying to me, "Like, I went on there to see if your name was on there." <laughs> <laughs> but That's yeah, I mean, funny. there was a whole site dedicated around, you know, hey, yeah. hook up with someone else who's married or in a relationship that wants to just have fucking casual hookups that we can keep all this enough. <laughs> right, right. You know, like they were coordinating that shit for you. That kind of ties back into some of these other stories that I've heard. Like there was a guy who wanted more attention online and, and sexual conversation and excitement and he couldn't get that. And so he ended up taking a female's pictures that he knew and putting them as his profile. He came up with like a profile as if he was a woman and was getting the attention and sexual conversation and stimulation he wanted pretending to be a woman, even though that was like in no way part of anything that really turned him on. But now he's having these conversations with other men online as if he's a woman. And it was just such an interesting story. I was yeah. like, I've never thought of that. I mean, I'm not saying I wouldn't do it. I've just never even thought about it. I mean, there's a bunch of that kind of stuff on the, I think it was MTV had the catfish show. Have you ever yeah. saw that? Like that shit fascinated me. I think I've watched every episode of that <laughs> show. It just—it's so amazing. Like these people go online and create these whole new personalities, these whole fake lives, you know, and interact with people. And then the different varying degrees. I mean, some of them have multiple personality pages. You know, they're right. They're they're spending so much energy being five or six different people, maintaining five or six different relationships and a lot of what you're talking about now is that like emotional connection that feeling wanted that feeling special feeling important and then just maintaining all the lies and energy to do all that I'm like how the fuck do you even find the time or energy but then keeping track of all the lies yeah well life is boring and monotonous once you become an adult and you get a job and you pay the fucking bills and it all happens every day and every month and every week and it's scheduled out and my t-mobile bills on the fucking 18th of the month and it comes out and it's 182 dollars. it's like uh, you, it gets old it gets stale so excitement right. freshness something different something right. that i can't really live so i fantasize about it Further, there's, you know, there's guys who fantasize about sharing their wives with other men. None of these behaviors specifically are unhealthy in and of themselves. Like the problem becomes when they become problematic for your life. And so right. generally the people you're going to hear tell these stories in these meetings have taken them to an extreme, right? They're like forcing their wives or coercing or manipulating people to go do things they don't want to do to please their own sexuality. There's guys who masturbate at times that are inappropriate whether that's in their car at work i think joshua talked a little bit yeah. about that then if you get more into the love addiction side of this and how this can look you're talking about people who don't have many healthy boundaries who become sexually involved with emotionally unavailable people without knowing them and and frequently this is i don't, I don't want to put a particular gender on any of it but people who sleep with other people's spouses often have this because they know automatically that person's not really emotionally available, right. right? They're already in another relationship. They're not leaving that. And yet the sex and love addict will do this time and time again and expect that one day they'll be enough that the person will leave, leave the relationship mm. for them, right? It's like looking for that validation, but looking for it in places where you're not going to get it, right? People who 
ignore all the red flags early on in, in the dating scene. All these flags that scream, hey, this guy is not right. going to be anything healthy. And not only ignore them, but I think it, it goes unsaid sometimes, too, that it's just that's where the draw is. It's not like we're putting uh, broccoli on the table in front of me and heroin and I'm just picking the heroin because, you know, I pick wrong or something. Like, I'm picking it because it feels way fucking better than the broccoli does. And so this girl or guy might meet healthy individuals in the dating scene, too, but those people don't have any draw for them. They're like, eh, they're boring. I don't, there's no spark. Right. There's nothing there. I don't really, I'm not really attracted to them. But then they have these strong feelings of attraction to people who aren't available to actually provide them with anything healthy. Yeah, and, you know, again, all those same things that we see in drug addiction, it's like the denial and rationalization and justification, you know. It's, yeah, he's married, but, you know, he's not happy there. He tells right. me he's not happy there. He tells me, you know, he's going to leave, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, all that's there. People with sex and love addiction might also, they might fear abandonment and loneliness, they stay in and return to painful, destructive relationships time and time again. People who have that on-again, off-again relationship where it's terrible, but you keep going back anyway. doesn't necessarily have to be abusive physically, but it could be. But it, it's one of those things where you just can't seem to pull away from unhealthy or toxic situations. Right. Confuse love with neediness, physical and sexual attraction, pity, and or the need to be rescued or to rescue others. And I think that's a strong one, too, that a lot of people struggle with. I hear this, and I guess maybe when I say this is what our dating scene looks like, I'm looking at some of the memes on the internet for what the dating scene looks like. I'm not in the dating scene. I have no fucking idea. <laughs> yeah. Or what I hear people in you know the rooms of NA or, or recovery situations share. And so, yeah, we recover from drug addiction. We stop using the drugs. But in that recovery process, a lot of our relationships look really, really unhealthy like this, right? <laughs> right. We're, I know the people who confuse physical and sexual attraction with love, that lustful feeling. I know people who confuse that early on butterfly, I can't be without this person. I want to spend 24 hours a day with them for the first three months feeling with love. I know people who confuse saving people with love like i know a lot of rescuers (laughs) that that want to fix people and all that like and so i i guess this is what i just assume all relationships look like i'm sure you there's some (laughs) optimistic view of like there's healthy people out there but i don't know them so yeah i i do believe there are healthy people and healthy relationships i mean we know there's tons of books and tons of information if people are looking for how to have healthy relationships and how to set healthy boundaries. But those are things we're responsible, I believe, to teach people young. Mm. <laughs> you know, like if they aren't developing those skills in their early teens to early twenties and, and they aren't taught these lessons at home, it's a lot harder to develop them later. Well I think one of the things you're missing there is that we're definitely developing skills and learning while we're young. The problem is we're learning what we're seeing. Yes. That's the skills we're developing, whatever is put in front of us. And so by default, that's usually Well, not if we're not getting those needs met at home, we will develop strategies and skills to get them met other ways. Yeah. You know, it's the for example, like if I have a dad that's not loving and supportive and caring, I'll seek out men that are loving, supporting and caring. Right. You know, and 
I watched my parents who were married for 47 years before my mom passed, and they had, I mean, it, and again, I don't fucking know. I'm just going to say what seemed like a healthy relationship from everything I could tell from the outside. Like, they loved each other, you know, what I viewed as love. They respected and cared for each other. There was not affairs. There wasn't, you know, a lot of... I don't know, people being outside of the home or outside of the marriage for what seemed like extensive periods of time, you know, doing other activities or other things. Like, it seemed like a pretty healthy, respectful, mutually loving relationship. And even I still have a really unhealthy view of relationships and shit, you know. This is not the time, the place, and I am not the person to ruin your picture of your parents' marriage. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you can. I mean, I, I... And again, I... You only kind of know what you see, especially as a kid growing up. So right. a lot of times we will, again, because of denial or rationalization, just assume, well, this is what I knew, so this is what is normal. I mean, mm. and then we find out, oh, shit, that totally was not normal. Right, right. I don't know anything about your parents' marriage. I didn't, like, do get a private investigator and research it or anything <laughs> like that. I just, from having conversations with you, you talk about some of the unhealthy coping and trauma that your mother had that was never dealt with and i personally my belief is if that's where one person's coming from there's no fucking way that there's a healthy relationship going on between their closest partner and them Hmm. like if that's where they're at obviously the other person's just as sick in some other direction and they magnetize together and they probably it sounds like they did great with it but i don't know that that means it was like necessarily healthy and this feel like goes back to some of the sexual stuff for for me personally like i don't think there's a everyone should do it this way or there's a right or wrong or whatever like if you're into any kind of sexual practice that is like between two mutually consenting adults and everybody's on the same page and there's not you know a lot of manipulation and coercion and things like that then more power to it you know more power to you if you want to go out and sleep with a different person seven nights a week and you're being safe and you're being upfront and honest with people or, you know, you're in a marriage and you and your wife decide you want to be swingers and sleep with people. Like, more power to you. I have nothing against any of that stuff. Like, polyamory is a thing that Mm -hmm. is getting thrown around now and I watched a little documentary the other day (laughs) saying how, like, monogamy actually is a a bad thing. That it's Mm. actually not the way we were intended to be all along and that monogamy is just a result of like property ownership and land rights that you know when we got into this building of wealth that people started to take on this idea of marriage to keep their property ownership and wealth within their families right the old idea that cultures used to be like tribal and they used to live like communal style living and like the one tribe they described said you know if a woman was pregnant she would go and try to sleep with other people in the tribe at that time because then everyone that she slept with during her pregnancy was considered a parent to that child. So that kid would grow up with multiple fathers in that community, which is a blessing because then you have different dads that can teach you different things and give you different skills and help protect you in that environment. And that this idea that polyamory is a natural way that we should be living and, and whatever I'm, I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm obviously married in a monogamous relationship. I don't plan on changing that. I'm just saying there's lots of different ways that people live and choices they make. And I just feel like if you're okay with the situation you're in, you're not 
hurting yourself, hurting someone else, you know, sort of selling your soul or causing harm to other people, have at it. (laughs) But if you see that you're in these patterns of like, hey, man, I'm I feel really a lot of guilt, shame, remorse about what I'm doing. I'm hurting my wife. I'm hurting my husband. I'm hurting people that I'm in a relationship with. Then maybe you need to start taking a look at some of that. Y'all hear that? All y'all judgmental people that have been watching Mari all this time, judging that lady for not knowing which of them 21 dudes was the father. She was trying to get a lot of participation. Yeah, if we had a culture that supported that, that kid might have a chance. Right. You know, but instead we shame and guilt him into fucking having no daddy. I think this communal sharing wife property, I think you've just excited many women that are listening to us, possibly. They're like, yeah, yeah, why aren't we living like that? So two consenting adults, so no sheep? We can't include the sheep? There's something inherently in me that says that that's wrong, because I don't know if the sheep can be consenting. Can we get get sheep consent? Is that possible? Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I, I don't know. And it's, I mean, that was one thing that came about with sort of the internet and porn in in my era, because I grew up, you know, before the internet when I was a kid and looking at porn, it was still in magazines and shit, my first introductions to it. And then online came and then you heard about all these crazy videos of like people having sex with animals and shit that you could go on and watch. And there was some interest in just the sheer, (laughs) I don't know what you want to call it, craziness of people's sexuality and like the weirdness of the and now that was years ago but the two girls one cup like that kind of shit (laughs) you know there's just so much don't research that (laughs) if you're listening (laughs) and now it's the same way i mean now you can go on and look up almost any fetish or or you go on you know these porn sites and there's Mm. any kind of weird I don't even want to use the word weird. Any kind of different or unique fantasy that you might have with fucking family members and stepkids and stepparents and older people or younger people or, you know, like any weird thing, interracial weird, you know, whatever bizarre sexual. I I saw you try to be inclusive there and then you said weird (laughs) two more times. (laughs) It's it's difficult. Out of the ordinary. Yes. That's what we mean when we say weird. There's nothing wrong with it. As long as, like you said, everybody's yeah. Oh, consenting. I don't think. I mean, it's to me, it's fascinating. Like, I'm like, right. hey, man, if you're, if you can find other people that are into that stuff, like, fucking have at it. Like, <laughs> you know, life's too short to, you know, if you got some interest. I mean, let's say yeah. I go out and I decide I want to study fucking rare insects that beetles that live on some kind of tree. Like, people might think that's weird, but fuck it, I like it. I'm gonna do it. Right. And it's the same with sexual stuff. If you, I mean, it's. Maybe it's kind of great that people can explore some of this stuff. Again, as long as you're not hurting other people or causing harm, you know, that's where I think it can get dangerous. And that's where I think a lot of us sometimes in our acceptingness, and I'm not saying we shouldn't be accepting of all these varieties of sexual expression, but I I do think it becomes less clear to know when we're causing harm to ourselves or others, Mm. right? And, And frequently, not frequently, but there are times when we get caught up in this sexual addiction or love addiction and don't realize it. Like when I was earlier on just chasing relationships to feel better, I never knew that there was something wrong with how I was dating. But had I never got clued into that, I would be in a perpetual cycle of 18-month relationships that I get in, they feel great, we're going to live together Mm -hmm. forever, then I fucking hate you. And we're done and I'm moving on. And I would have just done that over and over and over again and never realized 
Like I really thought I was looking for a person that was going to be the answer. I didn't realize that my process was all goofed up to begin with. And I just don't think a lot of us do realize that, that we're like, it's the process we're living in that's skewed. It's not that we're going to find this individual that's the right one that's going to end the process. Yeah. And there's no, I guess, right in some of these, this searching or relationship stuff. I mean, I, I listened to a, I listened to a podcast called Radio Lab the other day, and there was a lady on there describing her experiences dating in New York City, like mm. before COVID, oh, you know, yeah. like pre-COVID, and now the differences going on in COVID now in dating. And she was describing this process of like dating in New York as someone who's a, uh, you know, in their early twenties and the dating scene going out with different guys a couple nights a week, you know? She was saying she would go on an average 20 to 30 dates in a month, and sometimes with other people, you know? I mean, sometimes with the same person more than once, but a lot of times it was just out. And, like, she was talking about all this in in my mind. Part of it sounded really unhealthy. And then, but her being very open and very just okay with her behavior and activities and and she wasn't i mean in my head i immediately assume oh you're out sleeping with 30 people a month (laughs) but i don't know that that's what she meant and she never said that but that's just what i picture like dating equals sleeping with people and you know Mm. these weird concepts that i think are quote unquote normal for example the whole process of dating is just to find a mate like that's the point of dating and then realizing oh shit like you said, the way she's describing it in this current generation, like that's not it at all. She's not looking to settle down in the least. Just she's, having fun. Yeah, she's having fun. She's meeting people. She's going out. She has an active social life. She goes to lots of fun, cool places, you know, and does interesting things and meets new people. And some of these guys that she's dated have ended up being just friends that she now hangs out with. They didn't have any spark or connection, but she's developed these new friends and, you know, all this like healthy stuff around dating where I was like the only reason you go out on dates is to try to find the person you want to marry like you date them three times you know if that's the right person or not if it didn't work out you move on to the next dating person and it's like well fuck that's I mean in a different context like that sounds really unhealthy (laughs) I I mean you said she's doing 30 dudes a month I'm like does she need to be married I love her she's my new favorite woman (laughs) there's this 40 question self-diagnosis that SLAA has for sex and love addiction and if you might want to hit some of their meetings, SAA has one that's only like 12 questions, which is probably better for our format, but it was more sex focused, obviously, because they don't deal with the love aspect of it. I thought this one might be more relatable. So let's just ask a few of them and get into it and see what our thoughts are. First one, have you ever tried to control how much sex you have or how often you would see someone? I mean, yes, of course. Yeah, <laughs> like, I don't. Yeah. That's kind of weird. Yeah, I. I mean. I don't know what they mean by control. So I think for me, like I used to meet somebody and then we were going to spend the next 72 hours together just because I couldn't figure out how to leave you alone now. I was like addicted to wanting to just be around you every second of the day. And of course I was younger, so that was like actually possible. We had no lives. But at a time when I realized at some point after doing that four or five times, it doesn't work. (laughs) I was like, I'm going to make sure I don't see you tomorrow. Yeah, (laughs) I'm going to see you the third day. And then we're not going to have sex until after the third time we've seen each other or, you know, or then I would cheat that. Then I would cheat that. So I would like see you Tuesday morning, Tuesday night, and then Wednesday morning. And now we can do it. 
So then it would be like, well, we got to wait 30 days before we have sex. Like, I would set these fucking limits as if I could control it. I think that's what they're talking about. Well, and again, now I've been married 20 years, so it's hard. But going back, I mean, I just think, yeah, when I was young in my 20s, like, I was trying to have sex a lot. (laughs) (laughs) It's always trying to coordinate dates and, you know, when can I see you again? (laughs) Like. Do you find yourself unable to stop seeing a specific person, even though you know that seeing this person is destructive to you? I have definitely found that. I've had some relationships where the, I don't want to call the other person out, but the relationship was surely toxic and I could not, I was like, I'm done. I'm never seeing them again. And then Mm. they'd text me like two days later and I'm like, all right, when are we going to see each other? Yeah. I haven't had that experience. Mm. You might not be a lover. Do you feel that you don't want anyone to know about your sexual or romantic activities? Do you feel you need to hide these activities from others, friends, families, coworkers, counselors, etc.? Yes, but mostly because I'm going to self-diagnose here and say I was raised Catholic and I there's a tremendous amount of like shame, embarrassment and guilt around sexual mm-hmm. stuff. So the, the even sheer fact of talking about it is a big step for me <laughs> for right. me to come on here and talk about any sort of sexual stuff. And if it were to get into like personal areas, it would get very uncomfortable for me, even in things that I think are fairly normal. I mean, even like an admission that like, oh, yes, I masturbate like that is like there's so much shame and weirdness wrapped around that. <laughs> well, and I'm not trying to pin you into any kind of sex addiction whatsoever because it doesn't seem like that from knowing you. But. Shame has a big contributing factor to right. a lot of this sex addiction stuff because we keep it in the dark, because we feel worse about it, and then we keep doing more to cover it up, I guess, similar to how we use the drugs. So I don't know that that works that way for you, but even not telling people out of shame, I think, can be part of it. Yeah, and with sex and pornography, both, you know, my relationship with both over the years, I definitely aware that it could easily turn into a fucking problem. Right. You know what I mean? That I'm like, whoa, I got to step back from this ledge. I can <laughs> see this is starting to get a little unhealthy. And I was never able to find that ledge with drugs. I just proceeded right. on fucking just wholeheartedly. Right, just jumped right off. Wiley Cody. <laughs> well, and my experience has been that way with gambling. I mean, I've been to, you know, Atlantic City and Vegas and done a little gambling here and there. And then I've had those experiences where it it started to feel different. You mm. know what I mean? Like it started, you could like recognize like right. this is getting not <laughs> healthy. And I've been able to kind of just step back and, and leave it alone and get away from it. Right. I don't know what you call it. Luck, you know, self-awareness. I mean, what, I don't feel like it's any healthy. I mean, these are all times in my life where I wasn't overly healthy, but mm. I don't know why those areas seemed easier for me to identify than the addiction. I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. But I definitely am aware, especially after reading some of this literature over the last couple days, that I I definitely don't have a healthy relationship with sex. (laughs) Like (laughs) sex and sexuality, you know. And and again, not that I think it qualifies me to go to one of these programs, but there's probably some things that some sort of talking about it or therapy would help with. Right, right. Unresolved trauma issues and shit. I personally just didn't want my sexual or romantic activities to be known by my wife. (laughs) That was my goal. I was like, ah, I'm going to hide this from you. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. It's a joke about cheating. (laughs) Sorry. Do you get high from sex and or romance and do you crash? 
I was surely, yeah. I had those early romantic relationship highs where it was like, oh my God, we're so in love. We'll be together. And I have. And I mean, what I know reading sort of relationship and, and different uh, information over the years, like part of that is there is a biological component to that, this infatuation stage that we get yeah. in in relationships. And I guess that's similar to like the addict and the endorphin or dopamine hits you get with that stuff. So I, yes, I'm aware of those things, but I don't know that it ever affected me in an unhealthy way to where it was like obsessive or compulsive. Oh my God. I was completely obsessed with every person I met. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you had sex at inappropriate times in inappropriate places and or with inappropriate people? Oh my God. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, a lot of, I mean, using sexual relationships were in that category. Oh, I mean, when I was on drugs, but that's, I mean, I've always personally attributed that more to just the drugs and the drug lifestyle. Oh, of really? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I had a unhealthy sexual desire everywhere. <laughs> I mean, I've had sex like on top of Roy Rogers at like 730 in the morning before school. <laughs> I've had sex in the Baltimore arena hmm. and during like the second period of a hockey game, like <laughs> just any, yeah, it was pretty unhealthy. Hmm. Definitely inappropriate. People I didn't know. People I did know that I shouldn't know. Gosh, I think my shame and guilt kept me from doing any of that. Oh, unless I was fucked up on drugs and drinking. Right. <laughs> that it didn't matter anymore. I didn't care about the shame and guilt at that point. Have you had or do you have sex with someone you don't or didn't want to have sex with? Yeah. Yeah, me too. That's sad. <laughs> <laughs> How does that happen? For me, I take it back to... You know, my terribly low self-esteem and low self-worth. Again, it was all using mm -hmm. behavior. I mean, I've been with my wife for most of my time clean, and I've never had any affairs or anything. And obviously, I want to have sex with her. Right. <laughs> so, so my wife doesn't qualify for the last 20 years of my life. But before that, it was just needing validation, needing mm -hmm. to feel like important or special or worthy of love i guess and and there was definitely some confusion some issues i had to work through with the differences between love and sex and that just because someone was having sex with you didn't mean that you love them or just because you're having sex with them doesn't mean that you love them like all that shit was all twisted up in my head right do you believe that sex and or a relationship will make your life bearable and we don't have to answer all these have you ever felt that you had to have sex do you believe that someone can fix you Oh, Lord. yes. I used to feel that all the time. Oh, like, yeah. oh, I'm going to find the right woman and get married and settle down and yeah. that'll fix. All right, <laughs> like, right. That's what I need. Do you keep a list written or otherwise of the number of partners you've had? I, yeah. I did it. One I time. did. Yeah, I used to. Yeah, I don't anymore. But well, you stopped adding to it. That's why. Yeah, right. <laughs> Do you feel desperation or uneasiness when you are away from your lover or sexual partner? That's yeah, that's yeah. what I part of my obsession. Like I got to be around you 24/7. Huh. A because that's the only time I'm not alone and <laughs> B because who knows what you're doing or what kind of great guy you're finding when I'm not there. <laughs> Have you lost count of the number of sexual partners you've had at this point? Yes. Do you feel desperate about your need for a lover, sexual fix or future mate? Have you or do you have sex regardless of the consequences, threat of being caught, risk of contracting herpes, gonorrhea, or AIDS, etc.? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, should have used protection yeah. a whole lot of times and did not. 
Well, I, uh, you know, similar story to most people, you know, you get clean and like you go and get tested for the different venereal diseases and AIDS and all that shit and like just fuck scared to death. I mean, I don't know about nowadays. It used to take a couple of days before you got the results right. back and it was like fucking holding your breath. <laughs> like, holy fuck, you know, right. what's going to happen? You know, what did I get? <laughs> Do you find you have a pattern of repeating bad relationships? Do you feel that your only or major value in a relationship is your ability to perform sexually or provide an emotional fix? God, I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> hope that's that's not why I feel I'm most bringing. inadequate. <laughs> right. <laughs> I fail on that one. Yeah, me uh, too. Do you feel like a lifeless puppet unless there is someone around with whom you can flirt? Do you feel that you're not really alive unless you are with your sexual romantic partner? That's interesting. So I laughed at huh. that when I first started reading it, but I definitely remember times in my life where there, if there was not a new, you know, we call it the thrill of the chase or the hunt or whatever. I think that's how society has yeah. made this acceptable, this behavior, this toxic behavior of like chasing women to get validated by them when they say yes or when they giggle at my joke or whatever it is that I'm looking for. But I have definitely, yeah, been like, oh my God, there's nobody new to try to get to like me. I don't think I've done that. Like, I'm not aware that I've ever done that, but I I know someone currently that fits that very well, mm. besides you. But uh, oh, yeah, besides <laughs> me. But no, and, and it's funny. I, you know, when you read that, I'm like, oh, like this person popped in my head mm. immediately. I'm like, ah, oh, that's what that is. You, you know, know people besides me? What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you believe that problems in your love life result from not having enough of or the right kind of sex or from continuing to remain with the wrong person? Hmm. Have you ever had a serious relationship threatened or destroyed because of outside sexual activity? I just told y'all I cheated. Do you feel life would have no meaning without a love relationship or without sex? Do you feel that you would have no identity if you were not someone's lover? Hmm. No. Do you find yourself flirting or sexualizing with someone even if you do not mean to? I tend to say I'm a flirt, yeah. as if that's some personality trait that I can't control. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not this overly outgoing flirt, but I don't know that there's anything even wrong with that sometimes. I mean, mm, yeah. I'm not saying there's something inherently wrong with it, but I'm saying it has in the past gotten me into situations that I didn't necessarily mean to get myself into, and then didn't see any reason to stop once i was there mm, yeah you know you it opened that, doors yeah. and then i was like eh, fuck it i'll walk in right which that's, is you know yeah. like say that that middle circle thing it's yes. like that's a behavior that gets me into trouble yeah and we do talk about that in in a fellowship or at least i try to talk about that with sponsees and stuff it's like those red flags those mm. things those warning signs like fucking danger <laughs> right but i guess i like the circle thing better but yeah this could be one of those well, and the cool thing, so if you picture going to one of those water fountains, remember they used to have those like pointy cups, those little yeah, pointy cups, right? Cones, yeah. So if you picture looking down into that where your outer circle is the rim around the outside, right? And all the entire middle circle is on the sloped part down right, to that point of the inner circle. So it's kind of like once you get on there. It's not just a middle circle like I might slip. It's like, oh, you're slipping, motherfucker. Yeah, you're going down. Yeah, you're <laughs> yeah. skiing. Right. <laughs> So I, I just always thought that was a cool piece of imagery to think about. Like, right. And I'm now I'm just going to justify and say maybe because I haven't had bad sexual relationship or 
you know, unhealthy sexual relationships in that area. A little innocent flirting every now and again isn't, you know, you can tell when people flirt a little bit, maybe flirt back or a smile. And But for me, it's always been that's never led to anything or, right. or turned into any like weird sexual relationships. I've you know. noticed that since I've had therapy, since my life changed a whole lot, like I, it's just different now. Like things don't have the grip they used to have. Like I used to feel... And I didn't know, this is the crazy part, because I can look at it now and totally recognize it. I felt like I was caught in a fucking 1980s sci-fi tractor beam. Mm -hmm. Like, I was just totally out of the ability to, like, stop my body from going forward towards this action and individual. And I I did not, like, it all seemed really appealing then. I was like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to do this. But I look at it now, and it's like, that doesn't happen in situations that look exactly like previous situations, right? I'll say some similar flirty things, the response is there, and there's just, like, literally, it's not that the person's not attractive or anything, It's just, there's just literally no desire to follow through with anything. And I'm just kind of like, eh. And I think it's like, some eh. of that, so how much would you think, or I don't fucking I don't even know, like, how much for as a man has to do with just getting older and some of that age, stuff? Yeah. None. None. That's what I will say. No. Okay. So I have a, a half brother who has very similarly had all the same womanizing crap that I've gone through. And he's 54 and still doing it. Mm. He's 54. He's got like 48 kids by 16 different women or something crazy. And he is still seeking out the next one that's going to fix him. He's still living like this life of being a bartender and hooking up with girls 20 years younger than him. And I, so that tells me nothing changes unless you... Yeah, true. Uh, okay. That's just my... Yeah, my that makes sense. I get it. Yeah, I guess that's like addiction. I mean, you might not be able to run as hard as you used to when you're 45 <laughs> compared to when you're 20, but it doesn't mean you aren't trying. <laughs> I can't imagine being like 72 and still trying to like flirt at the nursing yeah. home. Like, hey, girl. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. But yeah, that's all. So there's a bunch of questions on there. And, and, you know, generally, if you're finding dissatisfaction in your life around sex or relationships, I think that's the time when we start thinking about asking these questions or maybe visiting the website or maybe even going on right now pandemic there's a billion online meetings easy way to find out you can mm. duck in without your fucking screen on nobody even knows you mm, yeah that's but nice. if things aren't pleasing to you if you've got rituals around your sexual behavior if you've got sexual dissatisfaction where it's just not working if you find yourself constantly in a similar relationship situation that just doesn't work out for some reason maybe it's time to start thinking uh we're the common denominator you know maybe look at and also making a decision to possibly check out one of these fellowships or to, to, you know, like you said, just pop in online, listen to a couple meetings. Like, you don't have to admit that you have some issue with sex or commit wholeheartedly right. that you're a sex addict. Maybe if you, you know, you think, eh, you know, this isn't feeling so good. Or, <laughs> you know, maybe this, this doesn't seem to be getting me to where I want to be in my relationships. You know, it, it can't hurt to check it out. I mean, it's. You know, you can, like you said, anonymously check in, listen to some information, decide if it fits or it doesn't fit, and then make decisions going forward. It's not like you have to commit to being a sex addict before you can check out a meeting or two. Right. One of the coolest things I heard when I went to SAA and SLAA that I had never heard in an NA meeting was they have in a reading in the prologue a lot of times that 
you attend the meeting, if you're unsure about it, they suggest you attend six meetings in different locations and different times a day and all that. And generally, because meeting, they say, you know, meetings can take on the personality of whoever's here. You might find you fit better in one than another, but they recommend going to at least six before you make a decision of if the program is right for you so that you're not judging the program by any specific meeting that you might attend. And I just, that struck me as kind of brilliant because there's definitely a lot of NA meetings I've walked into where I'm like, if this was the only meeting I ever went to, I would have never fucking came back. Yeah. <laughs> if this was what I thought NA was. Similar, I think. I believe to what Josh was talking about when he was out in, you know, California and the meetings there and the meetings in the right. urban areas compared to when he got back to rural Maine. I think it was in Maine. You know, when he got back to this rural area, the meetings were very different and things looked very different and felt very different. And when that happened, he kind of stopped going. And the the ability now with online stuff hopefully makes the process of exploring different areas much easier. Yeah, and and also important in this don't just think about this as in like, oh, I got to address this sexual problem I'm having, right? It's not just about addressing a sexual problem. This is about even people who are already somewhat healthy, finding healthier sexuality so that we can like enjoy the fuck out of it. That's right. the point, right? Enjoy the fuck out right. of fucking, right? Really we feel love, yes. feel sex. Get it you know, on, right? <laughs> Get it on. We're all for any healthy sexual expression that two consenting adults are a part of, right? right? And so once we get to that place where we don't have to feel the shame and the guilt and all those weird feelings about it, we can really dive wholeheartedly in and just be fully in the experience. And so this is about improving sex. So if you think sex is good now, just wait. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I got, I think. Uh, yeah, I think we've done good for episode 69. Episode 69. I mean, I guess if we make it to 420, we're going to have to have weed people on here. <laughs> it's a long ways off, thank God. Yeah. I'll forget. Yeah, me too. Okay. All right. Have a good week, everybody. Share this podcast with people in your life who might enjoy it. Check out recoverysortof.com to find our episodes and link up with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're always looking for new and interesting ideas for topics, sort of. If you have any ideas for episodes or think you have something to come on and talk about, reach out to us.